This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. Thank you all for tuning in again to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. My guest today, Kendall Rusing, is a jiu-jitsu black belt under her father, Tom Rusing, and widely regarded as a top competitor of her generation. She is a seven-time IBJJF world champion, and on top of the incredible BJJ success, she has also won four national championships in wrestling and has competed internationally with Team USA Wrestling. In my personal opinion, one of the most impressive parts of this extensive resume is that she's done all of this by just 22 years old. Without further ado, it's my pleasure to bring you all Kendall Rusing. Kendall, thanks for coming on the show today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Kenny. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So just to start us off, um, like, as I said, you've got a pretty impressive resume, especially by 22. Like you've done, you've managed to complete more in sport than a lot of people ever will. And uh, can you just tell me a little bit, like, what was your childhood like? What's led to kind of this passion that you have for sport and this desire for success that has clearly brought you this far in this short of time? Yeah, I think uh, one of the, like, as far as, you know, how things kind of got started as a kid is my, um, I was always really active and I was always very high energy and um, just really excited about anything. And I started like the little gymnastics, like mommy and me classes when I was two. My mom was a really excellent gymnast. So she got started in gymnastics really young. Um, and then when I was five, I started jujitsu. So my dad brought me to try it and I loved it immediately. And it was great. And for those of you guys who are not super familiar with jujitsu, it's basically like submission wrestling or submission grappling. So the, the everything you see from MMA or UFC, see on the ground so like no punches right but everything on the ground with wrestling included and judo included so um that being said yeah I started when I was about five and then instantly loved it and wanted to compete all the time and wanted to train all the time but I always tell people that I think one of the reasons I was able to maintain this passion for so many years or just kind of uh continue to be excited about doing sports for so long is that my parents really left everything up to me. Um, and when I say that, it was like, they weren't like, Oh, like my kid's going to be a champion. My kids get, I mean, of course they supported me, you know, but it wasn't, um, driven by their desire to have me do something. It was the, driven in their desire to support my happiness and what I enjoyed. So whether that was gymnastics or jujitsu or singing or theater or uh, instruments or other sports, like they always just were super excited to support me uh, regardless. So I think that was one of the things that really helped my longevity um, because I knew a lot of kids who were excellent, you know, as like young, young kids and even into like their adolescence and late teens. And then once they had some freedom, they just completely quit whatever they were doing because they were so miserable um, because it was never really their choice, you know? So as I went through my childhood, um, I loved to fight. I loved to compete. I really enjoyed it. And I always was I always saw jiu-jitsu as fun. I always saw sports as fun, not like a career that I had to have or like a trophy that I needed to win because mom and dad would be excited or anything like that. It was just, I could express myself and have fun with it. So then when I was 12, um, my I stopped jiu-jitsu because my parents had opened their first jiu-jitsu school, their first academy, um, but I had gone into high school. So we're 13, yeah. So I started wrestling and then I wrestled all the way up until I was 18. So I wrestled for like five or six years. And again, my parents never forced me to do jiu-jitsu, even though they, that was their lifestyle. They had the academies. Um, and then with wrestling, that was my decision. And I started competing really widely and traveling a lot. Um, and then I came back to jiu-jitsu when I was about 18 and a half. So that's kind of the timeline of things. And I'm 22 now. And first, when I came back to jiu-jitsu, I dove straight back into it uh, head first and started competing full-time and uh, teaching and running the schools and stuff, so. Yeah, okay, so you've kind of, like you've jumped from jujitsu to wrestling a little bit. Like what was it that kind of made the shift for you in the first place? Like what sort of made you decide to start wrestling instead or go further into wrestling and then again, that sort of shift back into jujitsu as well? Yeah, so when I, uh, when I was seven, I started judo. So I had already done a little bit of other martial arts 
And then when I went to high school, um, I had started, I had started to lose my passion for jujitsu a little bit already. And I think I just trained for so many hours as a kid that I wanted to try something new, but I didn't think that I really thought of that consciously. I think that was more under the surface. Like I still told myself like that I loved jujitsu and I did, I just, I just needed a break, but I don't think I really internalized that. Um, I, and then when I went to high school, I, uh, didn't want to do PE, right? And so I needed something to fill my PE time. And I thought, well, if I do wrestling, that's going to be great for my jiu-jitsu. I can learn a lot of takedowns and that'll help my my grappling game later. So that was kind of my thought going in. And I remember the first day I went to see the coach, uh, he basically was just like, uh, come back another time. We'll, we'll have tryouts in a few months. Right. And I just came back every day after that until he let me on the mats. <laughs> so <laughs> that's like one of the stories he would tell all the time at banquets and stuff. He was a great guy and he was, he was awesome. But in the beginning he was very skeptical. And as you know, you know, in, in wrestling culture, it can be very, um, boys club and very anti girls. And that's kind of how it was at first. Um, but yeah, so I started wrestling for the PE credit, basically, and also just because I thought it would be more fun than doing another sport that I didn't really enjoy, and I wanted to learn takedowns. But then I fell in love with it, right? So then I, and anything I do, I kind of, I very, um, try not to be so much anymore, but I've always been very black and white. It's just my personality. I'm like a very like addictive personality, and if I do something, I do it. So that's kind of how it was with wrestling, and I threw myself into it 100%. Um, and I loved it. So I kept wrestling. I got hooked up with the, the, uh, team USA group and kind of started doing national team camps and doing like, cause there's high school and then there's like the outside circuit that like is super important as far as the national level tournaments that qualify you for international level tournaments and things like that. That's more connected to like the Olympic training program rather than just high school. And most people in that category do both because high school is fun and it's still relevant and you have to go to school. So that's what I was doing. Um, the problem was that I started cutting weight a lot. So that was really, really problematic for me because I've always been tall and five, nine, um, I've always been on the on the heavier side, even when I'm super lean. Um, and so I was about, at the time, I think like 160, 165. And the coaches were telling me to go 152. So that kind of started because they were saying like that it would be better because the men that are higher weights are more strong and all that stuff. So that really started um, things for me. And it turned into always wanting to be at a lower weight. So I cut weight all throughout high school, not only for, for high school tournaments, but then for the international tournaments, it got even worse because the highest weight class for women um, at the junior level, which is what I was at the time, is 158 is the highest you can be. The senior level is 167, right? So then by the time I graduated high school, I was walking around at like 180, 185, and I was in really great shape and I had to cut to 165. So, um, yeah. So to compete, it was just every, like wrestling wasn't really about wrestling anymore. Wrestling was about losing weight. And the problem is that I would go down and then I would yo-yo way back up above where I started at because my body was just so malnourished. And so then I would go back down and then it was crazy. So to kind of make the story short, I went or the story short. I went to college for a year um, at SFU, which is uh, Simon Fraser University in Canada, which is the only school that competes with the NCAA. So it's really nice because I got to have an international experience, but still stay within um, the United States competition system. So went there for a year, was competing a lot with Team USA, traveling around to different countries, which was awesome. But I was so miserable um, because again, I was going from 185, sometimes as high as 190, depending on if I had just done a big cut or not, all the way down to 165, so 20, 25 pounds um, every other week sometimes. You know, sometimes it was more spread out, but it was like that a lot. And so my whole life revolved around um, what I ate, what I weighed, and how I was going to burn it off, you know. Um, and it really developed a pretty bad eating disorder. And by the time my first school year was coming to a close. That was so many years of culmination of all this stuff. I came home from college and I was miserable. I was so sick. Like I was so sick. I had um, a really, really big, big issue with bulimia um, and just crazy, crazy food taking over my life. So when I came home, 
um, my first goal was to get a little bit healthier. Yeah. But when you're in wrestling or with any um, Olympic sport, they view things in your Olympic tracks. So this year uh, was 2016, right? So it was uh, Olympic year. And so I was getting ready to go to the Olympic trials. Um, I had to decide not to go to the Olympic trials because I was just so sick. Um, I had had a really bad experience at the U.S. Open. I had to like chop my own hair off. I almost fell over multiple times. I almost went to the hospital. It's really bad early in the year. So I decided not to go to Olympic trials just because I thought I was going to die, <laughs> really. And uh, I was like, it was really bad. I was in very bad health. And then, um, so then when, you, when you're in any sport, they view everything in Olympic cycles. So for me at that age, at that time, I was eight. I just turned 18. So my Olympic year was proposed to be 2020. So everything revolved around 2020. So coming home in 2016, the new start of my, like my personal Olympic cycle and I ended up having to decide that I wasn't going to go back to college. I wasn't going to wrestle and I was going to give up on this Olympic dream, which for an 18 year old girl who's decided that she has her whole life figured out um, was very jarring and very, very difficult. So I say, yeah. So I say all of that to preface the fact that coming back to jujitsu really, really saved my life because I don't know if I would have been able to give up wrestling, even it's not wrestling's fault necessarily, but I don't know if I would have been able to get healthy and give up wrestling had I, um, in, had I not had something else to jump right into where I felt at home and I felt comfortable because I'm have to, I'm very high energy. I have to be doing something. I have to be working towards something and to give up something like an Olympic dream and just float around wasn't going to work for me, you know? So I really had to have something. And so thank God I had jujitsu and I loved it and it was so fun. And that, and then immediately started making all my goals and dreams and plans for that. And I was able to, you know, really redirect my energy in jiu-jitsu. I compete in the open weight class, which is 175 and up. I'm about 185, um, but I just choose not to to cut down to 175 and because it's healthier for me. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how I came back to jiu-jitsu. I know it was a long story, but it's yeah. really crazy, very emotional stuff. Yeah, of course. And like that kind of stuff is really powerful. Like I appreciate you going that in depth with it because like, you know, the kind of stuff you've dealt with is not easy for anyone to deal with, you know, going through like uh, coming from a strength sports background, I've cut weight a couple of times, nothing compared to 20, 25 pounds week in and week out like that. I can only imagine what that puts the body through, let alone what that puts your mind through, always thinking about having to be at a lower weight. And clearly it led to some tough situations for you um, in the past. It's great to see that you're moving past that now and you've like, you've been able to redirect your energy the way you have, but uh you know, if you're, if you were able to talk to maybe a young athlete or even the younger version of yourself that was kind of in the throes of dealing with those issues, um, and having to make a choice like your health over your Olympic dream, like what would sort of the biggest, I know that's gotta be tough. And like, what would sort of the biggest piece of advice be to a kid going through something like that to kind of help them realize that, you know, yeah, the Olympics feel important, but your health is so much more than making that decision? Yeah, that's a great question. And something that I think about a lot, because um, as you know, you know, with athletes, especially at the highest level, there are things you have to do that are extreme. And I would never say like, oh, you can just train casually and be the best. You know, of course, there are things you're going to have to do to be that are extreme, um, that may not be the best lifestyle for certain people. If I had to keep making a certain weight class, I don't think that I would be able to stay in combat sports. It's the same reason why I tell people when they ask me about MMA that I'm, there's really no place for me there for the same exact reason. Um, so for me that, that, you know, combat sports, if I didn't have this open class option, probably wouldn't even be an option for me um, because of the other stuff that I've dealt with and the hole that the rabbit hole takes me down. So to answer like, you know, for my, for my younger self or, or other kids, um, is the Olympics important? Yes. Is uh, making the NFL team important? Of course, MLB, whatever your, your goal is. Um, but you can only get there and only stay there and only be consistently high level once you get there with your health and everything. If you are doing right now what it takes to work for longevity, you know, and that is, has to be the key. I know so, so many people who um, have so many stories and so many people who are incredible up and comers um, 
finally kind of made it to the elite. And then because they had never focused on mobility and they only ever just trained hard every day, all day long, um, and never focused on recovery, that the second they made it, they blew out their knee or they hurt their spine or they blew out their shoulder. Some of them come back and they're usually not as dominant as they were when they left. Um, and some of them never come back, you know? And so that's a great example of like, you like, was it worth it to make it and have 15 minutes of fame or to make it there because you ignored your injuries and you pushed through. And I think one of the biggest things as an athlete is many of us have this guilt where it's like, if we are not miserable, then we're not doing enough. If I am not doing the grind that kills me every day, then I'm not doing enough and doing enough and someone else is doing more. And that's a really, really old mentality in sports that is really stuck around where that's what gets people into trouble when they're so young, they're 26, 27, brought to go into the prime of their career and they get an injury they can't come back from, or they start having these eating disorder problems and they just can't keep continuing. I think like the biggest thing with me is the reason I got away with it for so long is because I was doing this to my body, but I was still winning everything. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't really until I started losing and that has happened early for me. I was six years in, I was 18 years old and I got to the point where I was so sick that the next day trying to compete after doing that weight cut, no matter how intelligently I rehydrated and I was a pro at it. Don't get me wrong. Um, I could not compete the way that I needed to. And it started catching up with me. And so I think I'm, I think I'm so thankful that it happened at 18 and not 25, 26, 27. And my body had a lot more damage, but I would say to younger athletes, like, yes, the Olympic dream is important because the thing is, if I tell, like telling, telling someone with big dreams, as far as their sport, that their health is more important than their sport. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, but I still am going to do it, you know, so I'm not even going to waste my breath and just be like, hey, like, you know, it's more important, like, yes, it is, okay, of course, but, but I've been there, and I know that it's just like, okay, yeah, you don't get it, lady, like, I have big dreams, like, you don't get it, like, this is what I need to do, you don't understand, that's how I was, I was like, you don't understand, this is what I have to do, so what I would say instead is that, yes, it is necessary to do to to do extreme things, but don't think about it as your health because sometimes like that's not a big enough reason to do the right thing. What sometimes it needs to be a big enough reason is the realization that you will not succeed. You will not continue to succeed forever. And that is really the threat to a lot of young athletes where then they start to realize like, oh, okay, it's not about my health anymore. It's about like, I'm I'm chasing this dream, I'm chasing this dream, I'm chasing this dream six, seven, eight, nine years on year number 10, I'm getting close. And then I blow my knee out and I can never compete again, you know, or I have internal organ failure and I can never compete again or whatever it is. Um, and that happens all the time where I have a brain injury and I can never compete again. I know so many people with these stories, sometimes they're not famous. Sometimes they don't get out there. Um, but they're, they're very real. And the majority of people that I know at the highest level are very, very conscious about all parts of it. And it takes, Um, and the last part I'll say to answer this question is that it takes a professional lifestyle to do all things. And so I feel like I used to have this guilt of like, I'm not doing enough. If I'm not miserable, then I'm not good enough. And now I've taken that actually, that is a lazy way to look at it because I'm only focusing on one part of it. And it's the part that I like, and I love to train and that's really doing myself a disservice and I'm not being a professional. And that's something that really changed it for me because it's all mental. Like if you tell an athlete that they're not doing it for their health, they don't care. They don't hear you. It's not going to bother them. If you tell them that it's not going to be great for their longevity, they're probably not going to succeed and it's unprofessional and they're really being lazy. Then they're like, Oh, and that's kind of what happened for me. Once I viewed it as that, I was like, Oh, this isn't professional. This isn't what professional athletes do. Even if I've seen other let women do it before, like, cause I did. And that's why I thought it was okay. Um, like that is not what professional athletes do. And so then I really take it, it. You have to take more responsibility for yourself and your actions. And so I guess that, that's what I would say. Like, look at some of the most professional athletes out there. One of them right now is Henry Cejudo, MMA, wrestling, everything. Um, doesn't really matter what you think about his personality, just as far as his training, his training goes. 
he doesn't train as much as people would think that he does. I know his trainers really well. And he sometimes has a week where he only does three or four days um, because he wakes up and they test all of his vitals and they see how everything is in the morning. Then they decide what his training is going to look like. It's not grind seven days a week or you're not tough enough. So I know that that was a really long answer, but it's something that's really close to my heart because I had so many people telling me that it was unhealthy and I didn't care. Like I really didn't. But if someone would have told me like, hey, you're going to have near organ failure and you're going to have a near hospital visit um, at the U.S. Open in January of 2016 if you don't get your your act together, um, then, I mean, for me, mine's like a, a disease, so that's a little bit different, like an eating disorder. But in general, it's like, oh, okay, that's a different view than like, oh, you're not healthy because we don't care. We're extreme. You know, that's the point. <laughs> so. Yeah. So that would be like, look at it like as professionality rather than your health. Um, and that's what I would tell my younger self for sure, because that's what she would hear. She wouldn't hear anything about keeping her healthy. She didn't care about her own body, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I really like that answer just because, again, like, obviously, you know, we all know our health is important, but it is true. When, you, when you've got your eyes set on something, there isn't really much that can kind of distract from that, right? The, your, your brain is thinking Olympics doesn't matter if it's healthy, doesn't matter what else is going on. That's where I'm headed. That's that. So I like that answer of making sure that athletes are focusing on longevity as well, because I, you know, as a strength and conditioning coach, I see the whole, you know, grind seven days a week, or you're not tough enough attitude all the time. And the thing I always try to stress with my own athletes, and I'm really glad to hear you say that too, is that that mentality simply doesn't work. There might be, you know, a good amount of time where you can do that, but then there, you are going to lead yourself down a bad path with it. And um, it's like, it's really important, I think, to hear because as well, it's tough to tell people to back off when they want to train hard to be like, no, 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 dial it back, like take a day off here and there. But trying to find the balance, the way I always like to look at it is telling athletes that like the recovery is part of that working every day towards the dream. It's like, it doesn't mean you need to kill yourself every day. It means you need to focus every day, but recovery is just as big a part, if not bigger, a part of that focus than the, you know, seven day a week grind as, as they often put it. It is. And, and I think one of the toughest things here is that we have all these greats, like the, there's just so many great, famous, amazing athletes who are the example of grind every day and be successful. And we look to those people now and they're like, well, so-and-so said, or so-and-so did. And I think it's important to remember that sports is constantly evolving. And the people that are at the top right now in 2020 are training very, very intelligently. Yes, is it inspiring to listen to so-and-so who was amazing in 1995 or 2000 or even 2005? Of course. And it's amazing that they were able to do what they were able to do. But there's only a handful, which is why we know their names, because most people flame out when they do that. Um, two, most of those people did not have a very long time at the top, right? They were like extreme and then they had surgery or whatever it was, you know? And three, like I said, sports are evolving. And so I see in jiu-jitsu, there's a big old school mentality with a lot of competitors still. And those people are dying out and they're getting beat up by the new up and comers because we're taking care of our bodies. And it's just, it's, it's interesting. Like times are changing and a lot of athletes are changing with them, but a lot of athletes, um, are sticking with that old mentality because they're insecure or because it's inspiring or it's all they know or no one told them different or whatever it is. And uh, I think it's really, really hurting a lot of athletes chances at success, but also of course, you know, their body and their mental health too. Yeah, of course. And I think like that is a really important message to remember as well is that, yeah, sports are always evolving. So when you hear those stories of, you know, the guys back in the nineties or the girls back in the nineties that did things a certain way, one of the worst things in my opinion that an athlete can think or internalize is, well, that's the way it has to be done because right. so-and-so did it or so-and-so, you know, whoever else might've done it because not only are sports always evolving, but everybody's different as well, right? There are, even today, there are going to be some athletes that can maybe take a higher workload, but some athletes that if you try to work them every day or you try to work them too often, they're just going to lose the passion for it. And as a result, they're going to start going downhill as well. So I think it's, I really like what you said, how you answered that. Just sports are evolving and we're always evolving. So you got to do what's right for you, not, you know, the way that anybody else has done it in the past. Yeah. 
So on that note, can you talk a little bit about like what your average week right now looks like when it comes to training, just sort of how, you know, the hard training, but as well the recovery and stuff that you do to make sure that you're in the best shape possible when it's time to, when it's time to hit competition. Yeah. So things are a little bit unique right now due to COVID. Um, but overall, and also things are a little bit unique because I um, own three businesses and I operate them full time. So I teach full time. So if I didn't teach, my training schedule would look a little bit different. Um, but I do teach. So that has to be accounted for because it's, you know, six or seven, eight hours of, of mental jujitsu and, and all that stuff. So, and also physical, cause I'm on the mat. So I do change my training a little bit as far as my, to make sure that my recovery uh, stays a certain level. So I, um, first thing I use whoop, which I'm sure you've heard about before. Okay. Have you heard about whoop? Uh, I'm not sure. No, this little bracelet. So oh, okay. yeah, I use whoop. I have a, like an affiliate code thing. I Actually, I don't know if I need to set it up. Anyway, I'll, we could put it in the show notes later if I find it. But anyway, um, I uh, <clears throat> Whoop is basically, it's kind of like something that tracks your like heart rate and everything, but it also tracks like your sleep, your sleep cycles, all your training sessions, um, and it asks you questions in the morning. And it basically pulls everything together and gives you a recovery score. So the first thing I do in the morning is I open my app. Um, I answer all my questions in there my little survey takes like one minute and then it gives me a recovery score. Like, so today my recovery score was kind of low. It was like 54%, um, which is like in the yellow. So anything like 30 to 60 is like a yellow day. And then 70, 65, 70 and up is a green day. And then below obviously is red. So, um, based on my score, it gives me a number of how much strain I should reach for during the day. So I might have like a moderate day where I can go to like 13, 14 strains out of 21, right? And then on a high strain day, it's like, you're really well recovered. You can go 16 plus today. So it tracks all my movements. Then throughout the day, my strain ticks up based on what I'm doing. So if I get to the end of the day and my strain score is way too high, then I know I may not need to train that night. So that's kind of an overview. And then I'll tell you like what it ends up normally looking like for me. Um, but that's how I go off. And there's and I have a trainer that I work with. My strength and conditioning coach is also kind of like overseeing my, my strength and or my training and my nutrition. So she, I send her my score in the morning and she kind of lets me know what I'm, what I'm allowed to do today. And that's kind of the, what Henry Cejudo does as well. And I know him and I know his team um, pretty well. And I worked with them for a while actually. And it's the same idea. So I really, really like that. I think it's the most professional way I've ever done things. Um, and it's the way I've kept a lot of injuries at bay. Um, and had a lot of success in the last two years or so. So normally during the week, um, Sunday is normally a rest day for me. Monday, I usually do an, a really, really hard training session, either Monday or Wednesday morning. So Monday or Wednesday morning is like a really tough training session where it's like two hours sparring nonstop, combat, like everything. Um, and it's like, you know, kind of like a UFC fighter would call it um, like their sparring day, you know, two hours, super tough, but the really tough training part is nonstop. Then um, whatever day I do, Monday or Wednesday, the other day, is like a drilling session. So I drill techniques and I might do a little bit of specific training, like a little bit of sparring from those techniques, but it's mostly drilling. And then a little bit of sparring from those specific techniques that I was working on so that I can um, see if they're immediately uh, being implemented. That's same, And that's the same for Friday. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there's one sparring day and two like drilling days. Tuesday and Thursday are my strength and conditioning days. So on Tuesday and Thursday, I do strength and conditioning, which is all jiu-jitsu specific, and it's all revolves around the specific movements that I need for jiu-jitsu. Um, and then every night, I teach. So I teach, and then I teach from like 3 until – like I'm there from like 2.30 until like 9.30, including cleaning and everything. So I teach, and then every one of those nights um, is optional based on my recovery. So sometimes I'll train with my guys, and sometimes I don't. Um, depending on where my recovery is normally, especially on my hard sparring day in the morning, whether it's Monday or Wednesday, normally that night I don't train because my strain gets up really high early in the day. And then the other days I usually do train if my recovery is well, but if my recovery is not good, then I don't. And then Saturday, um, just depends. Like I'll normally do something active like mobility and yoga and stuff, but I, uh, sometimes train just depends on my recovery, but normally I don't. So there's a lot of variables. 
Um, but again, like to kind of recap, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I have one sparring day and two drilling days. Tuesday, Thursday morning, I do strength and conditioning. And then every night of the week, um, I might train, I might not, depending on my recovery. And that would be like a hard training session, but not as hard as the Monday, Wednesday morning one, but it would be tough. It'd be a lot of sparring. And then Saturday is optional, but normally I choose to do like something lighter on my body. And then Sunday I might do some yoga or something, but that's pretty much it. Or I get pretty active. So I'll go hiking or do something else. Um, so a lot of people are like surprised when they hear that because I really only have one super hard day of sparring. Um, in my week. Like I have other days that I train hard, you know, but one super intense day and uh, I have the best recovery from it so far. So yeah. that's what I've been doing lately. Yeah. Well, I think that's really smart. And uh, like, I, I don't do any fight coaching, but I work with a couple of fighters in strength and conditioning. And uh, I've always been curious for, you know, the opinions of other athletes on this, but like, you know, the way I sort of think about it is, you know, you know how to fight you know, you know, the techniques and stuff. So obviously you need to practice them, but to have those hard sparring days super often, I feel like if anything, it's more, it's just beating up the body more than maybe necessary, right? Whereas if you are able to kind of take it down, relax a little bit, drill and work on technique, but then like not, but then let, like, let yourself take care of the body a little bit more. If anything, you're going to come in feeling fresher, you're going to come in feeling better. Those techniques are still going to be sharp and then you're going to be in the best shape possible when it matters the most. Exactly. Yeah. I, I it, that's exactly what it is. Like most jujitsu guys um, and gals, if you ask them what they do, most of them do those hard sparring sessions twice a day, every day, wow. every single day, like five, six, sometimes seven days a week, twice, sometimes even three times a day. Like it's really crazy. And that's how wrestling is too. Like wrestling is almost the same. So like, that's why I mean, wrestling is just, you guys are very tough. Like I'm glad that I did stuff in high school and in college because I'm very mentally tough. Um, but I was always injured. I was always injured. And I, and I don't even think that my technique improved that much because I was so exhausted during every session that I don't like, I wasn't very sharp and I was kind of sloppy, yeah. you know? So I think it's, it's tough. You know, most guys like that's what they do. And if you know, if I told them I only do one day of hard sparring a week, they would probably like laugh at me and think that's ridiculous. Like, wow, you're like, you're not dedicated clearly. You know, I view it as, um, I'm very intentional, I'm very, very intentional about my training and I'm much more professional than a lot of people I know. And it's not always perfect and it's not always easy. And sometimes I, I mess it up and it's hard to find the right balance because we can go too far in one direction or too far in the other. I get too lazy and don't want to do anything or I go balls to the wall and do everything. Um, and so it's learning to live in the middle a little bit. That's why I like having whoop and I like having an outside source. Like my coach, she's objective um, where she can really help me plan that out. Uh, but whoop is a great way to do it subjectively. If you don't have the means to have a coach, um, or you're not able to afford it, uh, whoop is great because it, it's black and white. It's a number, you know, you can't really argue with it. So it's, it's, I really, really enjoy that. Um, it's like a membership monthly based thing, but yeah, so that's, it's, it's tough because so many, so many athletes are, I think, scared to go there. They're scared if they go there that they're not going to be good enough and it means they're not tough enough. And I really thought like, same thing with competition. I really thought like, if I didn't care only about winning and if I wasn't devastated and wanted to die after I lost, then I wasn't good enough. And that meant I wasn't, I wasn't destined for greatness because people who are destined for greatness want to die if they lose, you know, yeah. and they only, you know, so like I really took that on and like, it made me hate my life really. Like it really did make me hate my life because I didn't care about the journey. I didn't care about my friends. I mean, you know, relatively, I didn't care about the country I was traveling to. It was all about winning. And if I didn't win, I wasn't, I was worthless, you know? And so now of course I want to win. That's what makes me a great competitor. Of course I want to win. But when I lose, I don't let it derail my life, you know? And I also try to make sure that I'm enjoying the memories along the way. Because when I look back, like with Olympic athletes, it's really hard because it's every four years. So they can go hard for 12 or 16 years, which is only three or four Olympics, 12 or 16 years of their life, probably more than half their life, right? And still not make the Olympic team, right? And what scares me about that is going hard for 12 or 16 years, only caring about the Olympics, getting to the end of the run, you get old, you're not able to keep doing it, you have to retire, realizing you never made the Olympic team and realizing that you hated 
you hated your life because you were working to make one goal and you didn't really even enjoy the lifestyle. You didn't really like the training, didn't enjoy the traveling, whatever, because you only thought you could be, because I only thought I was allowed to be happy once I won the Olympics. And I thought that was going to fix everything. Then I was going to feel good enough. And the truth is that no, no tournament is going to change the way you view your life. You know, it, it feels great for that day. It feels great for weeks and months afterward. And I, I celebrate uh, wins that I've had that, that felt really great even now, but it just, in my opinion, it, 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 uh, it, it expands whatever your life already is. If your life is already great and you love the journey, it makes it even better. Yeah. If you're miserable already, then it makes your life great for a day. And then you realize like, crap, I'm still miserable, you know? Yeah. So that's what really scares me about, about athletes. Like, like we need to enjoy our lives. Yes. It's important to want to win. You have to have a drive, but you have to enjoy your life. If you don't enjoy your life, you're going to look back and realize that you thought that one thing, it's just like a relationship. Like you thought it would make you happy one day and things would change. And it was about the day-to-day moments, not the one goal at the end. And that it's okay to say that. And it's okay to be an athlete and feel that way. Because for a long time, I thought if I felt that way, that meant I wasn't destined to be great because I had to have it be the only thing that mattered. It's just not true. I'm doing better than I've ever done with this new mindset. So it's yeah. I have my own proof. Absolutely. And I think that's one, you know, it kind of goes back to the whole, like the way it's always been done, right? It's like, if but I think one big thing and like even within doing these interviews that I've been doing one co- really common thing I hear that you kind of just touched on there is enjoying the process over enjoying the outcome. So like, obviously the outcome is important. Nobody goes into professional sports or high level sports of any kind without a desire to win. Because clearly if you got into it and you're at that level, you're probably pretty good. And if you want to keep doing it, nobody wants to go in and lose every time. But if you can enjoy going to the gym every day, if you can learn to enjoy practice, learn to enjoy training, learn to enjoy those, you know, extra tough workouts that you're going, that you're going into and you can enjoy every piece of that, then the win is a bonus instead of being anything and everything involved in it. Right. And I think also if you can enjoy that stuff, it makes you come into competition just in a better mindset, in a better headspace. And if anything, I think it's probably going to help you compete more then if all you're focused on is the win. Yeah, I think so too, because when, when your happiness in your life depends upon winning a tournament, uh, that's a lot of pressure, you know, <laughs> like that's a lot of pressure. And, and I just competing couldn't be as fun for me when I felt that way because it was so much pressure. Now competing still is pressure and it's still nerve wracking and it's still exciting and it's still a big deal. Um, but like I said, I enjoy, I think we have to learn how to enjoy every part of it. Like if you don't enjoy every part of it, then you're probably doing the wrong thing. Maybe you need to switch, you know, and for me, that's why I needed to make the switch from wrestling to jitsu. It's not wrestling's fault. It's just that I could not enjoy that part of it because of the weight class restricted restrictions. I could not enjoy my life. I hated my life. I hated it. Like I thought it was all going to be worth it in the end. That was really like how I felt like, well, when I'm in the Olympics, I'll be happy. Yeah. You know, and that's, that wasn't going to happen. And thank God I got sick enough when I did and didn't keep winning. I'm so glad that I stopped winning. I'm so glad I had the experience at the U.S. Open where I got annihilated by girls that I normally beat. And it happened a few times after that. I'm so, so grateful for that because if I had kept winning, I don't know how long I would have continued to go on because I was watching girls that were Olympic level athletes doing the same thing with me when we were on international trips going into the bathrooms and stuff. And I was like, wow, okay, this, I look up to this person and they're doing it. So, so I'm lucky I got out when I did not out of wrestling, but just out of that environment. Yeah, of course. And like, you know, I think that's a, like a big key from what you're saying is no, it's not wrestling's fault. It's just you personally with that sport. That's just, it led you to, unfortunately not the best space, but you were able to get yourself out of that. Um, and then just going off of going off of that. So you've been a pro in jujitsu now for how long? Jiu-jitsu is weird. So it's kind of a hard answer because we're like independently operated and there's different organizations to compete in. Okay. But I got my black belt. We can just call it black belt. I got my black belt last July. So almost a year. So almost exactly a year. Um, Congrats on I that. was competing. Thank you. Yeah. I was competing full time before that, but I would say like the pro level is considered um, like starts at like purple and brown belt, but it's really like black belt is professional level. Okay. So 
what would you say is kind of the biggest difference going from, you know, the lower levels of competition into now the black belt, the black belt level or the pro level when you're competing? Um, I, one of the biggest differences for me is that when you get to the black belt level, you're competing against people who may have had their black belt for 20 years, you know, because it's like the end, it's like the end of the end. So same with other professional sports, you know, you go into the Olympics and you have people that have already won the Olympics three times, you know, and other things like that, or the MLB, or I think everything's the same, at least with sports that have longevity and jiu-jitsu has a lot of longevity. We have people in their late thirties still doing it, you know? So for me, coming in so young, I had a black belt. I got my black belt at 21. I'm 22 now. Um, I'm going with people, you know, who are 35 and have had their black belt since they were 21. So they've had their black belt for, for 15 years. Uh, and so I think that's like one of the biggest things is, um, but it's really interesting. It's like fun to be able to do that. But yeah, it's definitely a big difference because when you're any other belt or, you know, same thing with like high school and college, like when you're in college, you know, you're going with a certain caliber or age or experience level because you're all the same age. Um, then once you get out of college, it's kind of a free for all. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, other than that, the biggest difference is. I see a lot of people start to take things really seriously when they get to black belt and kind of like they like take less fights because they're scared that it'll like hurt their reputation or they do less tournaments because they want to be like more professional. And I think there's a time and place for those things. I try to compete as much as I can, as long as I, as long as I can do it in a healthy way because I want to get the experience and I'm not so concerned about my ego as far as like if I lose to someone who's a lower belt or if it's a really highly watched fight and I lose or whatever because things are people pay more attention now um and I think that that's what's best for me maybe not everybody else uh but I think everyone competes like crazy at the colored belt and then when they get black belt they're like oh well, I have to only take certain fights now and that might work for some people for me it makes those fights like so overly important that I just start to overvalue them. And then it actually does the opposite. It makes me more insecure about the outcome of that fight because it's like a special match. I feel best when I just keep doing what I've always done, which is fight every weekend, fight all the time because it's easy for me to move past a loss if I do lose. And I feel like I'm in my groove. So for me, that's what I like to do. Some people do a lot less. There's guys who only do the world championships all year long. That's the only tournament they do. Um, But yeah, so I think, I think that's one of the biggest differences. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I really like what you said there, too, of just like, you know, other people kind of handle it in these different ways, but you've sort of found what works best for you, right? You're not going off mm-hmm. of, you know, oh, well, this person that I looked up to does it this way, so I need to do it right. that way, too. Because I think, you know, in across all sports, that's something we really commonly see is athletes that almost try to build themselves into someone else instead of figuring out you know, being themselves, like one thing, uh, from following the UFC, like one that I remember commonly coming out is, uh, Israel Adesanya gets compared to being the next Anderson Silva. And he always comes out and says, no, I'm not the next Anderson Silva. I'm the first Israel Adesanya. Yeah. Like, I really like that attitude because again, like we've been talking about the whole time, right? These things that you've sort of figured out about your own career that work best for you. And it might not be the right way for everybody, but it's the right way for you. Is there any tip or anything that you could kind of tell a younger athlete that's maybe struggling with that identity of like how to become the first best version of themselves instead of trying to kind of emulate or become a second version of an athlete that they've looked up to in the past? Yeah. Um, I think that role models are great and inspiration is great. Um, but nobody can, you cannot have the same path as anybody else because nobody has ever been you. They didn't grow up in your household. They didn't grow up with your parental situation. They didn't grow up, um, with the one bully in middle school that made you feel bad about yourself. Like they didn't have the same life that you did. So everything that you do is based around your identity and no one has your identity, but you. And so, yes, there are things that we can try to emulate and there's inspiration that we can draw from other people. Um, but that person, that Anderson Silva, one at one point was just 15-year-old Anderson Silva and no one cared about him, you know? So sometimes I think we get insecure, like, oh, I'm not really meant for that. Like, I need to be more like this person. Um, the only reason that person is who they are is because they embraced their uniqueness and that was inspiring to people. So I think that's really where it's at. It's like, like there, everyone has been at a point where no one really cared about them and then they made a name for themselves anyway. And there's people out there who will connect with you because of that rather than in spite of that, you know, like there's people who 
will connect with you because you're Kevin, whoever, and they are really, really resonate with you because you're the same height and you grew up in the same city or your mom looks the same as their mom or whatever. You like Star Wars and they like Star Wars or whatever it is. Like you have your own thing. Um, whereas if you're just trying to emulate somebody else and be Anderson Silva, they've already seen that. They've already done that. They already know and love Anderson Silva. They don't need another Anderson Silva. You know, the world doesn't need to see that again. They already saw it, which is why it got so big. Um, so I think that's what I would say too. And I've had that on my own uh, my own in, like situation with that too, with, with jujitsu. And I've realized like, no, I am me. And there's people that are out there that are going to connect with that. And that's my most authentic self. And when I'm being authentic is when I'm my best because I bring the most joy. I bring the most passion. I bring the most energy. If I'm busy trying to copy somebody else, I don't know how to do that authentically. I don't know how to do that well, because it's not me. I'm not good at it. Like, it's like trying to do a job you're not trained in. I'm not trained in being Anderson Silva. I can't be Anderson Silva. I need to be, I need to be Kendall because I'm trained in being Kendall. I've done it for 22 years. I'm fairly good on it, you know? And so there's people out there that are going to connect with that. And there's a place for that. And just keeping in mind that like everybody was, everybody who's somebody was, a, was first nobody. And so it's not a big, it's okay to not be widely regarded and have 300,000 followers on Instagram today. It's okay. Everybody started at zero. As far as that argument goes, that's a whole other thing. But everybody started at the same place. We were all brought into this earth as small children who nobody, well, our parents cared, but who, who the, the public didn't care about, you know, and we all have our different path to becoming um, relevant or important or great or accomplished or however you want to view it. Um, and authenticity is the only way to do it um, in, in a long lasting way that makes a real impact on people. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that answer because again, it is so true. Like, you know, the authenticity thing is such an important factor because you're not worried about trying to keep up a certain persona or a certain character. You're just worried about the stuff that matters, going to training, going to compete, your friends and family, all this other stuff that is a part of you and a part of your life. And I think that's one thing that's really resonated with me from following you on Instagram is you're open about, you know, experiences that you've dealt with, with, you know, negative self-talk and things that had, that you've struggled with in the past and then how you've overcome them. Because in the position you're at now, having gained a bit more of a following, I'm sure there are tons of young athletes out there that are looking at your profile and, you know, kind of looking at what you're talking about and looking at, you know, your experiences and you're able to kind of share that and teach them just through you being you instead of you trying to be more than that. Right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I know you said you had another interview to get off to today, so I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time, but just one last question for you. If you could take one thing from your career to date overall, um, like a lesson that you maybe wish you had learned earlier uh, that maybe other athletes can now take from your experiences and apply to themselves. What would it be and why? One thing, um, man, we've talked about so much good stuff. It would probably be, would probably be in this. Um, and the main thing is kind of like what we were talking about before is you have to love the process. You have to love all parts of it. You have to like, one of the things I really struggle with, which is why I was telling you, like I overslept a little bit this morning is I really struggle going to bed early and really making sleep a really big part of my recovery, um, which is the biggest part of my recovery. Right. And that's something I really struggle with. Like I love to stay up late and I find things to do. And, um, so like you have to learn to love that. Like I have to learn to love like going to bed early and also, you know, doing rehab when I'm injured. Like I need to love that part. I need to, um, love having a healthy, nutritious diet, uh, to go along with my sport. Like, like that's really the main thing that's important, not just in sports, but in life. Like there's always an excuse. There's always a reason to do, to keep doing what you're doing, even if you're unhappy, whether it's for the money, for the fame, um, for the connections, whatever it is for the, for the looks, for the optics, um, for the stability, there's always a reason to keep doing it, whether it's a job or whatever. And I just feel that I'm so glad that I realized at a very young age that there is no, like, it's just, it's the same as having a really bad relationship and having a bad boyfriend or girlfriend where you're like, if I just keep doing the right thing, eventually it's going to get better. It's going to change. If I just keep bringing my, and I had a relationship like that where I just thought like, if I just keep like bringing my best to the table every day, then it's going to get better. Turns out it was the wrong relationship for me. Just like wrestling was the wrong sport for me. If I just keep grinding, if I just keep bringing my best, it's going to work out. It's going to be fine. 
And I'm glad that I didn't do either of those things for five to 10 more years, you know, because now I'm in a situation where I really, really love my life. I love every moment of it. I love all the parts of it. It's not to say there aren't tough days, but I love the lifestyle. So at the end of the day, win or lose, I'm confident in the fact that I'm living a life that I'm proud of and a life that I love and a life that one day when I have kids, I can tell my kids about it with a lot of pride and a lot of excitement and a lot of passion so that they could see that from me, you know? And I think that's really the main takeaway to, to that I would tell other athletes or tell myself at a younger age is make sure that you love what you do. And if you don't, it's okay to change. It's never too late to change. It's not too late to try something new. Um, and you don't have to do it overnight. You can slowly phase out. You can try something else, experiment. But I would say have the courage to really chase happiness over anything else, over fame, over money, over recon uh, being recognized, over connections, whatever, um, over stability and safety and the comfort of not changing. Have the courage to do it. It takes a lot of courage to have the courage to really chase what makes you authentically happy and really, really happy rather than what you think you're supposed to be doing. Um, and that would be my number one thing to say to myself or other athletes. I love it. I think that's such a great, such a great place to end off. Cause like, actually I first heard of you listening to your episode on uh, tea with Gary V the show he's doing through the quarantine. And, you know, obviously that's a huge message of his, right. Of like, you you have an extremely long life and you got to chase being happy over chasing anything else. So even if you're doing something right now and you feel like that's what you're supposed to be doing, having the courage to switch it up and try to find the right thing for you is just such an important part of life. Exactly. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. We've gotten through so much good stuff here. <laughs> uh, if anyone's looking to connect with you uh, just to you know, maybe ask you some more questions, talk to you about jujitsu, things you have coming up, uh, what would be the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, so uh, the best number one place is Instagram DMs. That's kind of what I, I try to be really engaged with people there. And I'm not always fast to respond, but I always respond. And um, so that's Kendall Rusing. It's Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-L. -L, and the last name is spelled like reusing. Uh, just spell it out like that. And that's how it is. There's no underscores or anything. Uh, I'm the same on Twitter, uh, Facebook, that's my name on Facebook. I don't really use Facebook that much, but there's like a page on there, I think. Um, but mainly Instagram and then TikTok. I have a TikTok as well under the same name. So everything is under the same name there, but Instagram DMs is the best place to get a hold of me. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate your time today and uh, a really powerful story. So thank you so much for sharing all that. And I'm uh, looking forward to talking again soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Kenny. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dusso. Thank you again and see you next time.